It's time to close this chapter of liberal Zionism in America. It's time to shut the door, lock it, and throw out the key and say it is, and admitting this was catastrophic. It brought horrific results. You're either supporting rights, you're either standing in opposition to racism, or you're part of the problem. But this liberal Zionism nonsense has got to be stopped. Welcome to the Miko Peled Podcast. Welcome back to the Miko Peled podcast. I'm Ellie Gerzon. Miko, how you doing? I'm all right, thanks. I got to say, I'm a little shook up because I just saw the movie Farha, which oh, right. is, not, is not what we're going to be talking about today, but I am quite speechless and uh, moved. Yes, that's available for anybody on Netflix, right? It's on Netflix. Yes, it's uh, not for the faint at heart. Yeah. Yeah, no, let's definitely talk about that in another podcast. Yeah. yeah. But today, the plan I have is I'm going to tell a narrative and then you're going to tear it apart. Does that sound good? Okay. Yeah. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> okay. So the narrative I have is Jeremy Benami gave a speech on the first week of December. He is the head of J Street. So some centrist would say that's the left wing of the Jewish American Israel Palestine organization. Now, you know, those of us uh, would not quite agree it's left wing, but they call themselves pro peace and pro Israel. And apparently they are now call themselves pro democracy. Yeah. When did they add the pro democracy? Well, I think he announced it at his speech at the conference just this last weekend. So that it's a new thing. He very proudly announced that now they're also pro-democracy. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to get into that. But the narrative was laid out actually by Phil Weiss in a Mondo Weiss article. So definitely a friend of the pod, somebody we see eye to eye on, but I think it does have a different analysis of this. So basically, an excerpt from the speech. J Street will be a home for those who believe that our community, for its own sake, even more than for Israel's sake, must root its identity in a commitment not to a flag or a piece of land, but to a set of principles and values. My friends, if we don't do this, we will see large swaths of our community walk away. Not only will they walk away from engagement with Israel, that's already happening, but they'll walk away from the Jewish community Itself. And Phil Weiss goes on to say there's other people like Tony Klug and Sylvian Seipel that Israeli human rights violations now undermine Jewish life in the West because the requirement to support Israel is giving Jews a bad name. They are supporting a thug nation in Seipel's words. So this is Jeremy Ben-Ami moving to the left saying, hey, we need to condition our support for Israel and Israel is hurting the Jewish community. It sounds like he really wants to put even more pressure on Israel to do the right thing and live up to its values. What do you think of that? Well, you would think, but if you read between the lines and you pay attention to what he actually said in the speech, then I think that the message is clearly not that. The message is clearly we will continue as liberal Zionists to um, maintain this strange kind of 
belief in, in a status quo where we pretend that there is this pie in the sky, liberal, wonderful Israel that maybe once was, and hopefully will return someday. And we're really not going to change anything at all. And I've listened to the speech a couple of times, and there's no question in my mind at all that that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah. So in your article for Mint Press News, you talk about some key words and you give the examples Israeli security, Israeli democracy, Jewish character of Israel. And you go into the issue of Jewish character of Israel a little bit. Do you mind saying something about that, what that means? Sure. You know, it's very funny when secular liberal Jews, particularly Zionists, talk about the Jewish character of a state that has absolutely no representation of anything that is inherently Jewish. The state of Israel is a secular, racist, apartheid regime, and it exists in violation of Jewish law. But what they do mean, and what a guy like Jeremy Benami means when they say Jewish character, is they mean the demographics. They talk about demographics. They talk about Jewish majority. But, of course, to talk about demographics when you're liberal is, you know, is impolite. It's, it's, it's frowned upon. So rather than talk about numbers and rather than admit that what they actually want is to see millions of Palestinians locked up in Bantustans so that they can continue to count Israel as a Jewish majority state, they talk about this, you know, strange phrase of Jewish character, which nobody really knows what that means. Well, there are a lot of bagels in Israel, I will say that. Yeah, but it's a new thing. <laughs> is that true? How are you? There was never a bagel when I was growing up. I didn't even, oh, know, really? what, I didn't even know what a bagel was. Oh, that's so funny. It's a New York thing. It's when American Jews, I was probably, I don't know, maybe in my 20s or something, when all these American Jews from New York immigrated Made and opened bagel shops, and suddenly this was a thing, and, you know... That we were that was supposed to be Jewish, and so we had no idea what that was. That's relatively a recent thing. It's an American Jewish thing. Yeah, no, totally, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. Jews have spread throughout the world over the past couple thousand years. There's so many things that people consider Jewish are really, you know, that local branch of, of Judaism. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, can you explain what a Bantustan is and significance? demographically of the West Bank and Gaza? Well, you know, Bantustan is barred from the experience of South Africa, but basically it's an area where the local population, the native population are locked up and have some kind of a semi-autonomous self-governing administration, but they really have absolutely no rights and they're living under the full authority of the occupier or the colonizer. And so there used to be this idea of a Palestinian state in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. This came out of the liberal Zionists, like my father, Rav Neri, several others, who said, let's have the two-state solution or the partition plan, but under more favorable terms now, since you know we don't have to go back to the old map, we've created a new map, and the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, which make up about 20% of the country, can be given to Palestinians. So what the Zionists did very well is they, the liberal Zionists, is they kept the idea and they kept the conversation about this idea of a two-state solution while allowing Israel to build massively and completely destroy this area that used to be called the West Bank 
and lock up the Gaza Strip in a way that it's really no more than just, you know, an open-air prison for two and a half million people. So the conversation, the discourse about two-state solution continues, but what it really means is Israel cannot afford to have a Palestinian majority. But the problem is that between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, there is a Palestinian majority. So Israel only counts the Palestinians who are citizens of the state of Israel and live in the pre-67 borders. It gets kind of complicated. And they don't count the Palestinians who live in other parts of the country, in the West Bank and Gaza. So what they say is, that's not a part of Israel. But they do count the Jews who live in the West Bank. So if you're Jewish, it doesn't matter where you live, you're counted. If you're a Palestinian, you're only counted where it's convenient for the state of Israel so that the demographics look favorable to Jews. But the reality, and people realize this, is that there is a Palestinian majority. It's a slight majority now, but it will grow. And so the best way to maintain a Jewish state is to lock up a few million Palestinians in their own little semi-state and say, well, we've solved the problem. We've given the Palestinians a state so they can exercise their right to self-determination. Uh, so that's really what the code is. When they say Jewish character, they mean let's lock up all these Palestinians so they're not part of our state and we can continue to call it a Jewish state and maintain you know, a Jewish majority. Right. And of course, the people who are in Gaza, they are refugees who under international law have the right to return to their home. But mm -hmm, many of absolutely. them, their home is in what is now considered Israel. Yep. And so, yeah, if they return to their homes, that would make it a country that is not Jewish majority. That's the real difference between South Africa and the Bantustans and stuff there, because South Africa never claimed to be a white majority country. No. Uh, I guess in some ways never claimed to be a democracy, but Israel really wants to keep that image. And the only way they can is by ruling over the people of the West Bank and Gaza, but not giving them any sort of real citizenship. Yeah. Yeah. So it's your point that liberal Zionists have not only failed, but it's part of the design. Yes. I mean, look, the lifeblood of what's considered the mainstream Jewish communities in America, the reform Jewish movement, which I think is the biggest is liberal Zionism, and conservative movement as well, is liberal Zionism. And liberal Zionism is the lifeblood of the American Jewish community, by and large, what's called the American Jewish community. I know that there's lots of different communities, but I'm talking about the mainstream one. Now, these people cannot and will not, in good faith, support an apartheid regime. They can't. So they do one of two things. They either deny that Israel is an apartheid regime and has been an apartheid regime and a brutal one from its very establishment, or they pretend that it's not. And they pretend that there either used to be or could be this pie-in-the-sky, liberal, wonderful, peace-loving Jewish state in Palestine. But of course, there can't be, there never was such a state. There can't possibly be a peace-loving, liberal state of Israel and it was never anybody's intention that it would be. In other words, nobody in Israel ever intended it for it to be this way, but they knew that this, was, this is a good selling point, and that's how you maintain support of these liberal Zionist, liberal American Jews. Now, if there was an attempt, if there was a, for those who believe that there could be that kind of an Israel through organizations like J Street or through supporting people like, you know, whatever used to be Peace Now and all these other groups, they failed. I mean, look at the results of the last Israeli elections, the several elections, but particularly the last one. I believe that even more than that, the belief that there either was or 
could be one day that kind of a liberal, peace-loving Israel, is what sustains the support for Israel. This is what sustains the support for Israel in the United States, which is, of course, the most important supporter of Israel. And since Israel had never intended and was never going to be and couldn't possibly be a liberal democracy, unless you're Jewish, then what happened now is inevitable. So supporting Israel by pretending that it's something that it was never meant to be allowed Israel to become what it is today because it needed the support. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So by either lying about it or pretending that it's something it's not or believing that it's something it's not or hoping that it's something that it's not, they these people who are basically liberal thinking, open-minded people who wouldn't in their right mind support an apartheid regime, supported an apartheid regime allowing the United States to provide $3.8 billion a year, donating to all these charities, NGOs, not-for-profits, friends of the IDF, friends of the settlements, friends of this and friends of that. And that's what keeps this apartheid regime alive. And when we look at Netanyahu, for example, when we look at his new coalition partners, Ben Gvir, they are ideologically the direct descendants of the early Zionists, the early founders of Zionism, Jabotinsky and Ben-Gurion, all of these people. When we read what they've been saying, what they used to say, what they wrote, or listen to what they've been saying and read what they wrote, it's clear that they had no intention whatsoever to do anything but take over the land and get rid of the people one way or another. And I'll just interject. There's a great uh, friend of mine, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. I may have mentioned him the last time as well. He talks about it very, very clearly when he talks about the fascist roots of Zionism. And he's got a blog called Committing High Reason. And one of his latest talks is demonstrating very, very clearly how the very essence of at least at least a part of Zionism, which is ruling Israel today and has been ruling for, for decades now, the Netanyahu type of Zionism, is rooted very deeply in fascism. So this yeah, is yeah. what they've been supporting. And so, you know, now they're kind of embarrassed. So they either so they either failed if they believed it could be otherwise, something else, or they are disingenuous because they've actually been supporting this all along, knowingly. Yeah, I'm sure there's a whole, yeah, cognitive dissonance uh, is just applies well, really well to supporters of Israel. It could be that too. I mean, a guy like Jeremy Benami, I mean, he's got this great gig. I'm sure he doesn't want to lose his job. But really, if he had a bit of integrity, he would say, you know what? We have failed miserably. We have created a monster. It's time to go home, close shop. That's it. And if you want to do something good, you need to join the anti-Zionist forces around the world. You need to join the Palestinians 110%, support their cause for an absolute free and democratic Palestine on all of historic Palestine. But he's not going to do that because he's going to lose his job. Yeah. So mostly you're talking about the ideological cover that organizations like J Street give. But you also, in your article, say liberal Zionists have always been opposed to enforcing measures that were sure to bring an end to Israeli lawlessness and abuses of human rights. So could you give us some examples of that, of things that they could have supported that would have actually addressed some of the issues that they say they care about? Well, first of all, sanctions. There have to be sanctions placed on the state of Israel for its massive human rights abuses. So whether you just, they discovered it 15 years ago when, they, when J Street was established or whether they knew it all along, 
Israel has been engaged in, in abuses of human rights of Palestinians since day one, and sanctions should be put in place. So that would be the minimum. I think the Sixth Fleet, which is in the Mediterranean, needs to come in and provide cover and protection for the Palestinian people because they're being killed wholesale, as we will know very, very well, and allow the people of Gaza to be free and end the siege of Gaza. So, I mean, sanctions is one way, and bringing the Sixth Fleet is basically saying, you know, you're going to do this and that's that. Stop giving them billions of dollars in military aid. Of course, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, of course, of course, that almost goes without saying. There has to be an end to this free money that's flowing, uh, free money and weapons that are flowing to Israel. And there have to be sanctions put in place. And if none of that helps, the Sixth Fleet needs to come and make it clear that it's time to end the siege on Gaza. It's time to allow Palestinians to go back to their homes and their land. And no more killing of Palestinians wholesale like they've been doing, murdering civilians like it's nothing, like their lives are worthless. Yeah, in your article, you point out that Ben-Ami stressed that J Street is committed to Israel's security, but of course does not mention the security of Palestinians, which I'd expect at least some sort of all lives matter from an organization like J Street, at least give lip service to the idea that Everybody deserves security, but they can't even bring themselves to do that, apparently. Not only do they not do that, but he explains very clearly that the rationale behind the idea of a two-state solution is not Palestinian rights. It's better security for Israel. It's the long-term health of Israel, which is what liberal Zionists, again, have been saying since the very beginning, since after the 1967 war. That was the reason for, again, my father, where you have married all these people who invented this two-state solution as we know today, that's what they were saying. For the long-term health and existence and the longevity, I suppose, of the state of Israel and for the security of the state of Israel, this is what needs to be done. Not because this, you know, there's another people here that deserve rights, that need that the rights need to be protected, that their lives need to be protected. He's never said that even once. You know, he said Palestinian rights need to be part of the equation because that's what will contribute to the security of Israel. He also highlights how a lot of American Jews are leaving Judea, leaving the Jewish community. Um, and that, yeah, it's hurting hurting the Jewish community. Again, focusing on how has this helped Jews, what, what's hurting Jews, nothing about Palestinians as human beings who have rights. Yeah. Yeah. And so I will say that he does say something very close to acknowledging apartheid, imposing collective punishment on Palestinians, enforcing two systems of law on neighbors based on their ethnicity. So he doesn't use the term apartheid, but he does describe it. Two systems of law on neighbors based on their ethnicity. Is that a positive thing that he seems to be acknowledging the apartheid of Israel? Well, I suppose we should all be grateful that uh, Jeremy Ben-Ami is willing to acknowledge that day is day and night is night. I mean, we should all be, <laughs> we should all stop everything we're doing and bow down and thank him for stating the obvious. I remember Ariel Sharon, when he was prime minister at one point, he said the word occupation. And everybody was, oh my God, Ariel Sharon said occupation. Ariel Sharon, even Ariel Sharon said, so what if he said occupation? Every other term in Israel is occupation. So he said it once in English. So what? So finally, he acknowledged it. He acknowledges, again, the day is day and the night is night. So what? Do we all need to, again, stop in our tracks and kiss his feet? No. So he said it. He said it. And by the way, the problem is not just 
the legal issue. The problem is not just that they live under two separate sets of laws, but of course it is a problem. With that. He's talking about the West Bank mostly. The problem is the inherent racism that exists within Israeli society towards Palestinians. The problem is that Israeli settlers can march into the city of Lid. They can march onto the campus of Ben-Gurion University. They can march through Yaffa or through the old city of Jerusalem, chanting death to Arabs, destroying everything in sight, you know, marching through and rioting, like in vandalizing and terrorizing. And that doesn't get a single word. That's not even mentioned, you know, so it's not just, it's not just the legal aspect. You know, there's no law that says Palestinian citizens of Israel should get less water than Jew, their Jewish neighbors who live across the street. There's no law that says that. That's the reality, though. Palestinian, in Palestinian towns, citizens of Israel, even when they live in the same towns as their Jewish citizens, even when their neighborhoods are across the street from each other, do not receive the same services, do not receive the same water or, or access to electricity or garbage collection or roads. That's not in any law. It's not a legal issue. This is racism that's inherent in the society and in the state, and it's completely acceptable. It's completely acceptable when condos are being built and people can sign up in order to rent or purchase. A Palestinian showing up will be told that they're not left, that they're all gone. An Israeli Jew will come five minutes later and will be offered whatever they want. That is what needs to be acknowledged. The fact that he acknowledges that there are some places where this is true, okay, fine. Well, that's great. I mean, you know, hallelujah. And there are no laws that insist that things should be equal at all. In fact, there are dozens of laws in Israeli law books that specifically make sure that the discrimination exists. In your article, you focus a lot on Gadi Eisenkot. Am I, how am I saying yeah. that name? Yeah. So Ben Ami quotes him. Just this week, the former head of the IDF, Gadi Eisenkot, said if the new government harms Israel's democracy, its education, or the IDF, a million people should take to the streets, and he committed to be at the front of the line. So that sounds good. What's the problem with that? You know, when I heard him say that, I literally had to go to the bathroom and I almost threw up. Literally. First of all, for any Israeli general to talk about marching for democracy is hypocrisy because they get their ranks on depriving Palestinians' rights. I mean, Israeli generals don't fight wars. They don't have armies they have to defeat. They can't do anything but maintain an oppressive, brutal, murderous regime against a people who have no weapons. So that's their military expertise. Eisenkot was the Israeli army chief of staff during the Great March of Return, the Gaza Great March of Return, where people were marching for their freedom and were met by snipers and gunfire, relentless, relentless attacks against an innocent civilian population that their only crime was that they were marching and they were Palestinians. So to mention Eisenkot as leading a march for democracy is such, it's so cynical, it's so cruel. Can you imagine, can you imagine in the minds of people in Gaza whose loved ones were killed and maimed and experienced this, on the one hand, the sense of hope of the great march of return, which was a sense of we're going to march and we're going to you know, be seen and we're going to be heard. And all they were met with was this, this horrendous violence by the Israeli military. And then the guy who was actually chief of staff at the time, the head of the Israeli army at the time, 
being hailed as a hero who is willing to march for democracy. I mean, can you can you visualize this for a moment? It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. It's like, I, I don't even know what to compare this to. It's so sickening. And again, to juxtapose that with this pretense of being some kind of a liberal Jew, believing in liberal values, believing in democracy, and wanting peace and love and you know prosperity for everyone, it's such complete hypocrisy and nonsense. Does he not know that Eisenkot was chief of staff? Is he that ignorant? Or does he not care? And I, I'm not sure which is worse. But how can he, how can he stand on that stage and say that name in the context of people marching for freedom and, and democracy, when Eisenkot led this attack to massacre and maim people who were marching for democracy, people who deserved their freedom, people whose freedoms are on the other side of that fence that keeps Gaza closed. He is the one who gave the order. He was the one who commanded these troops who were shooting these civilians whose only crime was that they were Palestinians marching and demanding their freedom and their rights and their land and their water, by the way, all of which were on the other side of that fence. They didn't have to shoot them. There was no threat. There were no weapons. There were just people marching for their rights. So the pretense, the hypocrisy, the cynicism, all combined, is just sickening. And I know people in Gaza. I have friends in Gaza. And every single time there's a bombing, you hear the stories. It's hair-raising. So the guy who commanded the Israeli army during that horrific, horrific experience being hailed as a hero because he said he would march it's such nonsense it's such you know i don't even know i said hypocrisy i said i think i used all the words in my vocabulary to describe how horrible this is you know so shame on benami for doing this and shame on j street for doing this for not standing up and saying what the hell are you saying the people in the audience how did they not stand up and say what the hell are you talking about how can you mention this man's name? He should be indicted for war crimes just for that. Never mind the 30-year military career that got him to that point. Well, there's no question that war crimes were committed. Otherwise, he would never have reached that high point. But just for that's what, if anything, if there was any context in which that name should have been mentioned, it was what should have been war crimes and an indictment and the International Criminal Court. But no, as some kind of a champion of democracy and freedom. It's unforgivable. Yeah. No, it is pretty amazing when you think about the actual context. I'm going to be honest. I didn't know that name. And I'm guessing a lot of people in the audience just didn't know, you know, yeah, and sure. they're just listening and not really thinking about it. But like you said, just try to imagine it from the perspective of somebody from Gaza. It's, it's just horrific. Yeah. You mentioned in the article the documentary Gaza Fights for Freedom, directed and narrated by Abby Martin. People can check that out. Do you know where people can find that? It's free. It's on YouTube. They very, very generously put it out there for free. And it's stunning because all the work was done on the ground by people in Gaza. The interviews and the images are very, very powerful. It's an excellent movie. Excellent. Yeah. So we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. And you were recently on Abby Martin's podcast, Dosed. That's and, right. You know, we can link to that as well. So I don't know, any closing thoughts for this issue? So I would like to give a shout out to Jewish Voice for Peace, an organization I've been a part of for a while. And it not only acknowledges the apartheid, but also is officially anti-Zionist as a Jewish American group. So I really appreciate that. There are many American Jews 
who are opposed to the Zionism, the apartheid in Israel. Like you say, it's no compliment to Jews to say that Israel represents Jewish values. Yeah. And for a closing statement, I would say, you know, it's time to close this um, chapter of liberal Zionism in America. It's time to shut the door, lock it, and throw out the key and say this, and admitting this was catastrophic, it brought horrific results, you're either supporting rights, you're either standing in opposition to racism, or you're part of the problem. But this liberal Zionism nonsense has got to be stopped. There has to be an end put to this. We cannot forgive it anymore. You know, I think it's far worse to be that than to be Ben Gvir. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's dishonest. Ben Gvir, we know exactly what he wants. He is not embarrassed. And Netanyahu, too, we know exactly what they want. We know exactly where they're going. There's no doubts about where they're going and what they want to do. And we see the support that they get is by people who support their ideology and the policies that they want to enforce. But to be the fig leaf that covers that and allows that to, to flourish and to cultivate that, that's worse. Well, that's a very strong note to end on. You know, I think a little shock treatment is healthy. Things are severe. Things are serious. There, there's imminent threat to the lives of Palestinians at every single point and every single day and every single moment. You know, me and so many others like me are always worried whether we're going to get up and wake up in the morning and see the name of another friend who was either killed or arrested, who or their sons or daughters were killed or arrested, another bombing on Gaza, and whether or not friends in Gaza, their apartment building was targeted this time or not, or whether they were killed on the way as they were escaping. You live in constant horror just knowing people in Palestine and knowing what they're living through, not even being there and going through it yourself, just knowing that they are going through this and not knowing if, you know, I don't know if some of these people are going to be alive tomorrow. The killing is so wholesale. So this is tough stuff. We need to act. We can't be complacent anymore. We can't sit around and treat this like it was some kind of an academic conversation, something theoretical. This is imminent. There's imminent threat to the lives of millions of people on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Palestinians in East Jerusalem wanted to go out and celebrate when Morocco won that game the other day. I don't know if you saw the riot police, the mounted riot police, beating and arresting people just for that. It's time to act. And so I think a little shock treatment is, is important. I think people need to get up. They need to shut the door on liberal Zionism and they need to start and they need to act to bring about a free Palestine. Well, that is a very good note to end on. And I'm really excited about these conversations we're having. There's really important information and important context for people to understand. Like I said, I listened to the Ben Ami, or I read a little bit about the speech that he gave, and I didn't understand all the context. So I think you're providing such, yeah, such valuable context for people, and I think it's really good. Great. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. And thanks for downloading, and see you next podcast. I said we were going to make it more consistent. I know. The Miko Palette podcast, it's been coming out, you know, once every few months, once every several months, but hey, we, we can do this. We're going to get you a new episode real soon. Yeah. So please make sure to subscribe, make sure to recommend this podcast to friends and family, maybe some liberal Zionist friends, whoever you think might be interested and see you soon.